0: Can't get enough games? Don't have a local gaming convention? Come play with us during Roll20Con. Roll20Con is the free, online-only celebration of the Roll20 community, and will take place on Saturday and Sunday, June 24th and June 25th. Play a game during the convention, and you'll get access to plus-level subscription features for free until the end of the event. You can also watch some of your favorite streamers play games live on Roll20's Twitch channel. All proceeds from Roll20Con will go directly to CyberSmile, the international nonprofit supporting victims of cyberbullying. To learn more, head over to roll20con.net. We hope to see you there. Happy gaming.
1: Welcome to the Dungeon Master's Block, where we talk about the Dungeon Master. The most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts for this week's episode, Dungeon Master Ian, and today DM Mitch and I are joined by none other than Aaron M. Evans, an author and RPG designer who is going to be discussing with us One of the most terrifying things in any D&D world, the Underworld. But before we get to that, we have a 5-star review. This 5-star review comes from Jared, with an H, which is awesome. And he says this, I started playing with 5e. The only way I could play as much as I wanted to, is if I was the one to run the game, since I had no friends that were as interested as I was. So I jumped in, and built my own world. Since listening to this podcast, I have been inspired on so many levels and gotten so much help with every aspect of my world. I have been able to breathe the life that my players love into the game, thanks to all your help. P.S. Still patiently waiting on your episode on politics and governments in towns and cities. Thanks for everything, guys. Your advice and wisdom is invaluable. It's signed, DM Lampchop. DM Lamp Shop, a.k.a. Jared. We thank you for your review. We're glad that you are jumping in with both feet, so to speak. DMing is a great craft, and we're glad that you are having a great time doing it. Before we move into the meat, I do want to apologize. This week we had some recording technology issues, so the audio isn't the best. I have done my best to clean it up. However, it does not impact at all the quality of the discussion that we had about our topic today. Well, without any further ado, Let's head on to this week's meet with Aaron M. Evans and the Underworld. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Yeah. Why can't we have some meat? Carving no, I mean, uh, Just a mouthful! No! The <laughs> like meat back on the menu, boys! <laughs> Well, welcome back, Blockheads, to this episode's Meet. Today, we have a very special guest. It is none other than Aaron M. Evans, who is the author of The Brimstone Angels Saga. Say hello to the listeners, Aaron.
2: Hi, guys. We want to start off the show by just asking you a couple questions, getting to know you a little bit better before we jump into the topic that we're here to talk about today. The first question I want to ask you is very open-ended. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: I'm Erin M. Evans. I'm best known for a series set in Forgotten Realms called the Brimstone Angels Saga, uh, which just wrapped up this winter with The Devil You Know. It travels down into the Nine Hells, so there's a little bit of Underworld Magic for you. Um, I've also done some work with uh, a few other games. I did work on Terra the mmorpg Um, i've done some stories for italtis and lost citadel and shadow of the demon lord i'm so sorry rob i completely forgot the name for a second which does take place actually i just (laughs) recalled um does involve heroes going down into the underworld
2: you are so qualified for the discussion we are going to be going into today i love it (laughs) how many books is uh are in the
1: brimstone angel saga it
0: is a six book series
1: there you go yeah they're pretty
0: fat too so i'll keep you busy for a while
1: (laughs) fantastic right on so Aaron uh, along with that I mean you've told us some of your body of work is there anything that you're currently working on that we should know about or look into or anything like that um,
0: I am working on uh, some books for that, that are sort of set in my own world so they are they're they're being done um, not for a particular company but I'm very excited about them and hopefully
1: nice.
0: uh, I'll be able to share more details soon. Um, but but we're looking at the We're a big the, fan
1: uh, of homebrew settings. The,
0: yeah. The um, the general description I've been giving is epic fantasy family saga, so
2: nice. So keep an eye out for yes. that. And lastly but not least, of course, we do have a surprise question for you, Erin. This one comes from one of our Patreon dragons, a uh, Silver Dragon Blake Ryan. And he asks you, what major league sport should be replaced by Dungeons & Dragons and why?
0: Oh, hmm. That is a good good one.
2: one. (laughs) You have the power to just get rid of one sport. What is is that sport you want to get rid of and replace it with D&D?
0: Part of me feels like like whatever i answer it's not going to be fair because i don't watch a <laughs> lot of sports and so i'm going well i watched the super bowl so you know that mm-hmm. would leave my life and is that, eh, nah. that. you <laughs> know i like going to a baseball game now and again <laughs> although i don't i don't really follow i just like you know watching a baseball
1: game big fan of baseball
0: if i say basketball my my brother-in-law my husband and all those guys my sister that do the fan <laughs> the the the, the the um, March Madness brackets will be Fantasy
2: moved. leagues, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe that would uh, encourage them to yeah, join a true. true fantasy game, uh, maybe right? Maybe that, that might
0: be my best answer.
2: <laughs>
0: and, and hockey, like, that just feels like, I don't know. I live in a town that doesn't have a hockey team, so it feels sort of unfair. Um, yeah, I, I will say basketball for, yeah, you can get some,
2: basketball. Get some other fantasy game All right, game there in. you go, Blake Ryan. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm it. <laughs> basketball is being replaced, hey, by D&D in the near future, thanks to Aaron Evans. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, let's get into the topic that we've come here to talk about today. Let's start talking about Underworlds. We are focusing on world building. We're focusing on. Giving inspiration to DMs out there who are making their own homebrew worlds. So let's talk about the underworld. If you are going to be creating an underworld for your homebrew setting, let's let's talk about first the environment of that underworld. What could this environment look like? Where could it be? What are some, some questions maybe you want to ask yourself while building an underworld? What are some aspects you want to think about?
0: I think if you're going to pull from sort of real world settings, which is honestly something I like to do, to kind of dive into history and mythology and anthropology and, and, and pick out sort of interesting details to shape around. That, that a lot of the time you have, you have a physical entrance point. You know, there's, in Greek mythology, there's, there's several. But, but the, the idea that you can kind of go down into a cave, into the underworld, is, is, is kind of a, uh, an option that appears so many places. So it's familiar and, like, your characters will know what's happening once you go down. You know, there's other places where, other things were like, you know, in, in, in Egyptian mythology, you know, there is a sense of, like, you have to be dead to get to the underworld. But if for some reason you wanted a similar setup and you needed to, the sun makes the path. So if you can, you know, catch the bark of the sun, you can get down there. And that idea that somehow you have to connect yourself to something supernatural feels like a piece you can take. Then, and, and in that sense, like, to keep in mind that, that this doesn't have to be, you know, you might go down into a cave, but it, it should be something supernatural in my mind that that if it's just like, oh, now you're in a cave and it's full of ghosts, <laughs> it, it loses something. And there's so many more things you can do. You can have it be caves, but you walk into a cavern and and it goes up forever. Right. You walk into a cavern and it's full of stars and you're like, wait, like time and space are not the same here because the the thing i think to remember and i'll probably repeat this several times is that the underworld is not for the living so doing things that Mm -hmm. that that push against that so the the push against the expectations to make rules that are sort of meant to meant to keep out the living or or that are actively hostile makes sense in that and kind of gives you some more ways to to move your characters along or to challenge them even
2: And I think that's where, like, you should even begin for a lot of DMs out there who are creating this, because in my mind, if you're creating an underworld, okay, you might be just creating the lore of it. You want to have a knowledge of it so that players, when their characters ask about it, that you can give information and not caught off guard. But at the same time, for me, I go, yeah, you create an underworld so that you can eventually have an adventure where you do that very thing, you take the living into the land of the dead, you do the Dante's Inferno, whatever it is, you go there for some very important reason. And what is that gate? How many doors are there? Where is that door? Aaron, when we were before we started recording, you even mentioned like, is the underworld? Is it part of the material plane and actually underground getting that getting that name? Is it a different plane of existence? Like could you if you if you were had a bunch of dwarves that you paid could you dig deep enough to get to that underworld or is it somewhere completely different that you need to find some magical means of getting yeah. to
1: i li- i really like that idea of Having an entrance, because you see in like Roman mythology, the entrance was called, uh, if I remember right, Vernus which was like in a crater that they would go down for the for the Greeks It was the River Styx. Uh, you had to cross it, you know, get past Cerberus and, and all that kind of stuff to, to get into the underworld. And then you mentioned Mitch Dante's Inferno. Well, the realm of Hades in, in, in Greek mythology had five layers to it instead of nine, but I mean, it still had, but it was separated by rivers. So you've got some of those cool ideas to, to mess with as far as introducing some physical characteristics into the underworld, like the rivers or like the crater or, you know, something like that.
0: And I like that idea of like the multi-layered, because it, it gives you a chance to sort of think about not only in your underworld, but sort of what is... The structure of your culture, because frequently when you have these steps—and it's not always true—but that that it sort of represents, like, like, it, like you know, in Dante's Inferno, like how bad were you, right? You get you get all the way down to yes. like the traitors, and uh, you, you see this in other places that that I think it can be also be interesting. Um, there's a Shimmerian myth called the Descent of Inanna that's quite famous, where the goddess Inanna goes down to confront the queen of the underworld, and and every time she passes through a gate, she has to give up something of her, basically of herself. It starts out is like her earrings and her collar and her dress and then she gets down in front of Arishkagal and she's like she takes her skin off and like hangs her body on a hook and now she's trapped she can't get back out and that idea of sort of like like losing more of yourself as you go down the i mentioned a short story that i did and this is obviously not not real world for uh, shadow of the demon lord which is rob Schwab's uh rpg and the, 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 the sort of mythology in there is that the world, realm of the dead, like people die, their ghosts go to the underworld, and they stay there and they forget. And as they forget, they get lighter and they rise back up and then they're reborn. Um, and I like that idea too. It's sort of a reverse of it, that, that there is a way to kind of lift out of it, but there is still that like, you know, depths um, to give you. And it also kind of creates more danger as you go down, uh, whether that's because your ghosts are smarter because <laughs> they remember stuff, or these are the worst. <laughs> (laughs) people right or this is how you get down to the center of power this is where asmodeus is this is where Arishkigal is yeah um and it you know it kind of builds itself it's a little you know giant metaphysical dungeon
1: so like uh, the layers also give you an opportunity to examine uh, the different punishments. If, if we're talking strictly about a hell where the the evil are judged and and those kind of things, I mean, you have Dante's Inferno, which I'm sure we'll reference a ton because it's one of our most prolific Western works on on hell. Um, but then even in even in Greek mythology, with the rivers, each river represented something different: uh, sorrow, lamentation, fire, oblivion, hate, uh, and you know you've got all of these different things and in all of these different judgments that coincide side with the rivers or with the layers of hell and and you have you know if we're talking structure you can have like you said a god over each plane answering to a big chief god and and it gives you a lot of, of structure a lot of um, a lot of ideas to work with especially I know Mitch your, your your underworld has a lot of those same ideas in them people being judged for different things and, and the marks on their forehead uh, correspond to those different, uh, different judgments and so you, you've got a great structure already to work with if you look into things like Dante's Inferno or the various other religions that have existed on earth throughout its history.
2: Yeah for me when I was creating my underworld for the world of Atos I I started with that question of, like, is this a place of punishment? And I answered, okay, yes, it is. This is where those who are deemed unworthy of Avana, the quote-unquote heaven of my world, this is where they are drawn to upon death. And then I started going, okay, what are the punishments they have? And each of them corresponded with a symbol that gets placed on their forehead and then they have to make their way down deeper into the underworld until they meet their place of punishment where the demons and the devils would grab them and then they would live out the rest of eternity there. And I I definitely drew inspiration from Dante's Inferno. I like that layer system specifically because for me it was an easy way to go, all right, what's the purpose of them being there? Here's their punishment. What is the way that that punishment is acted out in some sort of judgment? And then that helped me to develop the layer itself, the environment. Like, for me, just, oh, all of hell is fire. Like, if that's what you want to have, cool. Uh, All hell is frozen over. If that's what you want to have, cool. But for me, it allowed me to have different types of environments in each layer and make each layer a world unto itself. Now... Not everybody's going to like the layers of hell of an underworld. And I think part of that could be the fact that, I mean, there's a lot of people who have grasped onto it and they might want to do something different, but you can still have all different environments. I mean, we live in a world where there's all these different environments. Why not have a plane of hell that isn't divided into layers, but still has many, many environments. And there's so many ways to make environments that are familiar to us scary and unfamiliar and to make them otherworldly.
0: I think that too goes back to the idea that the underworld is not for the living, it is not for you. So mm. having it be something that's unexpected is 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 pretty suitable, yeah. right? It should it should be a place that actively repels you, right? And if you don't, I mean, that is kind of one of the aspects of the layers is that, that it becomes harder and harder to go down, right? Or, or with Egyptian mythology, you have to pass through series of gates to and, and, te- and like, honestly tell these demons, like, I have not lied about anything, right, in order to get through. And this idea of, this sort of idea of barriers because you're not supposed to be there or the, you know, the ghosts that swarm the living. There's lots, I think there's lots of ways to achieve that same building difficulty that you get out of the layers by doing, by just thinking like that, like saying, okay, well, you know, you can have these different environments, these hostile environments that wouldn't really matter to a ghost or, you know, whatever you choose to happen in the underworld. But, but I think that that hostility to the living is a, is a pretty, it's generally a pretty key component, component to, to an underworld.
1: Well, and then that that also has the side effect of making those who actually enter the underworld, those heroes like Theseus, like Hercules slash Heracles. You know, you've got all of these heroes that have to go down and accomplish something. In my underworld, it's called the Black Star, which is literally like a big old fat black hole in the center of the universe. And, you know, there are four gates that they have to pass through, much like in, in Egyptian mythology, although I think there's Chicago. a couple more <laughs> gates than four. Yeah. Wow. So, um, you know, but they're working their way in. And if they can get past all four gates, they get, you know, my underworld includes heaven, much like, you know, mm-hmm. Greek mythology. But if they if they at any one of the gates for any reason, they end up that's their judgment place based on their sins. I think that's another common element of, of the underworld based on their sins in life, they suffer a a punishment or, you know, if you're the wheel of time like Robert Jordan, uh, you get to, uh, you get another chance at redeeming yourself when the wheel spits you back out.
2: I like the idea of even there being civilizations and cities of the dead in an underworld, not just being like areas where the undead are constantly punished. And honestly, if if you're going with this aspect of punishment, I think that you could go with an even unconventional form of like, oh, well, you've got devils and demons and they're there to punish those who end up here. But honestly, you could even do away with that and say if this is where the worst of the worst show up, they live in a city that's in the underworld. And they just live there and their punishment for all of eternity is that they are also surrounded by the worst of the worst. And it's just an unbearable lifestyle of torment in the city. And I love the idea of taking a DD group into the underworld and just coming to like this wretched hive of scum and villainy in the underworld that is just awful and nobody is happy and everybody's causing trouble. And it's a terrifying idea and a terrifying place.
1: Yeah, I you know, and it's funny, you know, part of that punishment could be they're serving the demon overlords to expand the city or, you know whatever else. And and the labor is brutal. It's a bad place to work in. You know, there are no, there are no OSHA rights or anything like that down you there. Die you know. die in your
0: punishments. Uh, you're the HR, you the HR manager for workers. <laughs> That's amazing.
2: Yeah, you're to- you're that Toby. sounds like something out of a Douglas Adams book right there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I like that idea. You know, there is civilization down there, but you know, part of, part of your, your damnation is Interacting with people who might be just as bad or worse than you, and you're slaves to the demon overlords. I well, think what that if is a...
2: what if you didn't even know that you were dead, and that was part of the punishment? That what if you that started a campaign that, yeah. where it was taking place in the other world, and part of this was that your players had to figure out why this world was ridiculously crazy and awful, and the fact that they are dead, and in their past life they did something to earn the judgment of living here. And what if Ian you have that bureaucracy, but the demons as demons can transform themselves into just looking like normal people and they're like the rulers of the city. They're the mayor, they're the king, whatever it is. And so they're just putting out orders, but you're you know, part of that campaign idea is figuring out that you're in the underworld. You're in hell, yeah. you're being ruled over by demons and you're dead. I like <laughs> there that. is no end to this.
1: There's that element where you can put in, uh, you know, it's a case of mistaken sentencing. And so your players are like, uh, why am I here? I don't know. Like, and their goal, you know, the gods or whoever sent them to the underworld to to fix it or, you know, whatever. There's something wrong with the underworld and these heroes who by all rights should be in heaven are sent to the other place. (laughs) Hell. And their job is to fix whatever's wrong with the underworld. Like, you know. There was, there was a book I read where the, the Underworld was taking in too much dead, too much of the dead. They had the overpopulation. Over, the, the, the Overlord had overstepped its bounds, and it was throwing, I can't remember what book it is now, it's, it's going to drive me nuts, but it was, oh, it was, it was th- throwing the balance out of whack. So it was, it was interfering with the natural world uh, in unexpected and crazy ways, and so part of that could be you know, the heroes died and, and they're sent to the Underworld to fix it. To to restore balance to the to the physical world.
0: I want to briefly plug a TV show. It is not I don't know. It's fantasy ish If you haven't watched The Good Place, it is, is an excellent is a great show, show. <laughs> and it it is a, a a version of the underworld that is like well, it's not underworld. I guess it's heaven in this case, right? Or it's the Good Place, but but it is that sort of like, and you just live in this little town, but with really interesting twists. But I won't spoil anything because <laughs> it, yeah, it's
1: a great show. If you haven't you watched really it, should. you should.
2: <laughs> So we've talked a lot about the underworld and the environment that you can kind of have stewing in your mind as you kind of create this place. Let's talk about it as a place that is a realm not just for people who have died, but also a realm for, and I'll say this with a question mark, evil gods? like. Is it a realm for evil gods? Is it a realm for a good god? And this is just this is their duty. Like, But how would a underworld be reflective? Uh, how would a underworld affect? How would an underworld even be shaped by the god or gods that dwell there, that live there?
0: I definitely have a softness for more, like, more, more neutral underworld gods, specifically if you're using, I mean, if this is the world of the dead, dead is something that feels evil, death is something that feels evil, but it's inexorable, right, it's, it's, it's something that is coming one way or another, and you don't have to like it, but you can't, it's not, it's not personal, right, it's not personal. So, so gods that have that sort of evil, evil trappings, but are, but are fundamentally not not doing evil kind of appealing because it has that like that and the, the, this position for the culture to say like that is evil right hates you know people will be like oh Hades is evil I'm like Hades Hades is not evil right Hades is doing his job <laughs> it's um, not. you know you can have Anana face off with Erish Kigal, and Erish Kigal is just like lady why are you up in my living room this is <laughs> this is I'm just doing my thing right I so 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 your man died it's not my fault and, and so that, that I feel like appeals to me more when I'm telling stories to make it something that is it is in a way completely alien and completely familiar it's that thing that you're just really trying not to think about that said,
2: I like the idea of having pity for a god whose job is to be lord of yeah. the underworld. Like poor, poor Hades, he's stuck there among really the dead. That's the his only company for all of eternity. Day. Like the other gods get to be on Mount Olymp- Olympus. Poor Hades, man. Like no wonder he's got a little bit of an attitude. Like he's You're not like, evil. Come into he's
0: just party the emo one kid, way or another. So. <laughs> Quit complaining.
1: Well, and, and what's, what, is, yeah, what inspired my underworld were a few quotes. Two things make all men equal, death and taxes, right? Or, you know, death waits for no man. And so in my world, death is, the god of death is a very neutral figure. It's like, Aaron, you were saying, because I think, I think death is the one thing that in the end makes all mortal beings the same. And so, you know, and since he's responsible in my world for judging deeds... Once you get past the four gates, you stand before God, and and he basically, you know, renders final judgment, and his symbol is a a set of merchant's scales. And as he's reviewing your life with you, you get to dialogue with him, which is kind of an interesting aspect. You try to get to persuade him, if you can, that you belong in, in heaven if you're being judged poorly or... You know, there are some good people who have had a really good life, but have a really huge sense of guilt or whatever, and they tried to persuade him, no, I really don't belong. Because of this great sin, even though I've atoned for it or whatever, or found righteousness in the eyes of God, the big overarching God, you know, I, I don't deserve to go to heaven. So he he weighs your scales for you, and he makes the final determination as an arbiter for the chief God, and... You know, he has to be very fair. And because of that fairness, because of that preserving balance, this particular God is true neutral.
0: I just realized, like, I, we, can't, we can talk about worlds and stuff. So the book I'm working on right now has, uh, and it's a and it's yes. book world, right? <laughs> so this is probably not, not necessarily mechanically something that would work in a game simply because, and in fact, for like the idea of going to the underworld is not something that is done the gods in the, in this particular culture are are worshiped apotropaically so they're like you don't want them to lo- to notice you. you 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 pray to to keep them away it's very like natural disasters kind of thing so the the goddess of the dead is called jianu and she's conceived of as a dragon that swims through there's a there's the world of the living and then there's sort of this this barrier world called the threshold and then there's, on the other side of it, the world of the dead, and presumably the world of the gods, right? But they don't, nobody's looking over there. So Gianni swims through the lairs, through the different the w- different worlds, and if you die, your, your soul will sort of cling to her scales and she'll pull you through. But it is that utter indifference, like, you don't want Giannu to necessarily notice you, but you would like her to swim close enough to pick you up, right? You don't want her to eat you, but you want her to kind of drag you along. And that's that's ideal. And that, that idea then that, that, that appeals to me some is these, with these deaf gods as sort of true, truly neutral and, and almost indifferent is kind of picked up in that. And, and also this idea that there's in, in Egyptian mythology this sort of like, one of the, it's, it's hard to find. Evil is tricky, right, in, in, when, you, when you start to change your framework. But, but the, um, Amit the Devourer is this sort of demoness that's part crocodile and part lion and part hippo, which is interestingly the same parts that make up the goddess of childbirth, but that's a huge digression. And so once your heart is laid <laughs> right. against the feather of Matt, if it's not if it's too heavy, if you didn't live a good life, then Anubis takes your heart and chucks it to Amit, and she eats your heart, and that's that. And I've, you see modern castings of Amit as, like, evil, and it's not that she's evil, it's that she does not care. She's an animal, she hasn't, there is no stopping her in that sense. And so she's not going to go like, well, it's going to make you feel bad if I eat your heart. She, It's food, she doesn't care, right? There's, there's no swaying her, aside. like, if someone chucks a heart at her, she eats it, they're gone, that's the end of you. And, and there is something about that that feels evil and feels dangerous and that difference of reflection. But I think, too, that if you want evil gods in your underworld, then you do have, and it's the world of the dead, and you don't want to cast death as necessarily evil then the idea that we were talking about before of sin and punishment comes in very strongly because, you know, who's going to enjoy punishing sinners? Evil
1: gods! Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and in the hierarchy of, of my realm, you have death is, or the judgment as that neutral figure, and then he'll hand you over to to the evil gods who are responsible for the punishment sort of idea. So yeah, evil, if you were talking punishment, I would definitely say evil is, is the way to You're go. you so
0: good at it.
2: I think that part of the reason that um, <laughs> I think all of us get so excited about going, oh, like, don't do an evil god, do something that's a, a neutral god, do something that's a, a good god, do something that's a god that's, it's, it's not that it's evil, it's that it's the way of the universe, and they are focused on the law and order of the way that the universe should work in, is because I think it's, it's almost tropey to have evil gods in the underworld. Now I do want to say that personally, I know that there are people out there that like hate on tropes, and for my, th- for personally, I think there are great tropes, and especially if you're DMing for a group that they haven't been exposed to like certain tropes over and over again, then it's not really tropey for them. And if that's what you want to do, go for it. If you want to do evil gods in the underworld, that's what you're leaning towards. That's fantastic. Go for it. I think we just get so excited because um, as as DMs who constantly talk about creating different worlds Aaron as an as a writer I'm sure there's like just this feeling of oh like go to something different go to something new Surprise people. Like, don't go with the stale old, everybody does this sort of thing. Do something that's different. Do something that your players, that your readers are going to be really interested in drawn in on. For me, one of my favorite quotes from uh, the, the Harry Potter books is when it's talking about the story of the three brothers who get the three Deathly Hallows. It talks about the brother at the end with the invisibility cloak that death couldn't find him. And he takes it off at the end and it says, and then he greeted death as an old friend and went with him gladly and as equals, they departed this life. And I like this idea of death doesn't have to be this bad thing. The God of death, the grim reaper, whatever is, doesn't have to be this bad thing. In fact, there is this aspect of does, do you want to live forever? Like there's this point where it's like, oh, I'll gladly go to the underworld. Okay. Sounds good. Let's go. Thank you for helping me find my path to there.
0: I think, too, and this is sort of a general thing. I don't, I feel like you should write about what you, you should create, like, what gets you excited. And if what gets you excited is an world ruled by, you know, a, a really, like, prototypical devil who, like, loves torturing souls, then go for it. But I feel like I see a lot of the time people feel obligated to, on a certain level to do the thing that they've already seen. And, and so there is that sense of like, and for, for me, it's like, I, there are definitely things I've written where I'm like, I know this is not the most original thing I've ever done, but I really want it. So how do I make it work? And I feel good about it and I'm excited about it. I was going to say, I had one other idea. If you want, um, if you want an evil god in, like a, in a neutral or even kind of a, a good flavored underworld, you, you have a possibility to have that evil god have a, a a relationship or an agreement with the god that's controlling your underworld in one of my brimstone angel books fire and the blood they they go to the hells which i'm not going to argue is a good place <laughs> uh, but one of the things they, they <laughs> is that i have a, a, a group of devils that has to pass from the first layer to the second layer in order to do that you have to get past tiamat who is the evil dragon goddess And that basically she serves as a gatekeeper for Asmodeus. But she also serves as the fact that if Tiamat consumes something, it is obliterated. She's basically Amit, the devourer in this case. So when they encounter her, both these things come down. So that that agreement keeps her in this place, and she is this source of danger, and she has this sort of pocket realm within the, the first layer, but that... That itself doesn't impact the, the whole of the setting. The whole of the setting is still evil, but you could theoretically have a god who's not evil, who would like something like this, like, like, like these powers, and be willing to sort of have this, kim- this arrangement so that you can h- counter an evil god without necessarily choosing to cast your culture in a way that, that vilifies death.
2: Let's talk about the idea of stories of the underworld that are going to be told in the world that you're creating um, for your players to play in. Stories have uh, leaked their way to the surface or people have created these stories, these myths, these legends. Maybe they're based on truth. Maybe they're completely true written down in um, holy books or unholy books. And let's talk about the idea of creating stories for your worlds that teach you about the underworld, whether that's true or untrue. Now, here's where I
0: think you can do some really cool stuff. Because like, like you're talking about, like there's going to be a disconnect. If the underworld is not for the living, then there are going to be things about it that the living cannot really comprehend. So you're going to simplify it in a way that makes more sense. And on top of that, Whatever's happening in the underworld, it, it matters, but not as much as the way you can control the living with those stories. So, you know, if you want to emphasize, like these are the sins, these are the big sins, and maybe nobody in the underworld actually cares. But who's going to tell you if the if ghosts can't leave the underworld and the living can't reach the underworld, right? That you can, because you can. You are only having these sort of snippets, right? If that barrier is something that only a hero can breach. Everybody else can build stories out of that. So you can end up with something that, that says, you know, you have a system, um, you know, like, like the Valhalla of Hell split, where there's sort of a binary, like, did you die in battle? No, you go to hell. So you better like fighting, right? Uh, And there's a similar split in in Aztec mythology, although you have some sort of contingencies like ladies who die in childbirth and stuff like that. So you, you can kind of create a system where your living populace, your living culture is controlled by what happens in the underworld. And then you can decide, is that true or not? And create some tension, and then you know—is that part of your story? Is finding that out something that affects your heroes and their and their plans and their journey?
1: Yeah, the the god of of death in my world, or the the god who's like in control of the underworld, his name is Moramphis, and Moramphis is typically depicted as a two faced god, sort of like Janus. One side is very grotesque and just hugely ugly; the other side is is very beautiful. Although that is. You know, that, and like I said, that's how most people or most artists and even the, the holy scriptures of various religions depict Moranthus. However, Moranthus appears before you if you were to like actually stand before him in the way that you conceive of him. So they use, don't let the, the horrid Moranthus gaze on you, you know, the one that's all grotesque. Much like in Kabbalah, you try to ward away that evil eye sort of mentality. But you want his you want his the good side of his face to to look on you, to smile on you when you go to the underworld. However, he appears based on your level of sin or your level of righteousness. So the more grotesque he appears when you stand before him, the more convincing you're going to have to do of Moranthus to get to the good place. Or if he, you know, if he appears as a bright being to you. The less convincing you have to do to get to the good place or the more convincing you have to be to get to the bad place if you're one of those tortured sort of souls. I like the idea that, you know, based on a certain culture or religion's understanding of the underworld, that they can control the populace. You know, especially if you've got a religion that's more aggressive uh, than others, you know, they're using their idea of sin and, and that kind of thing to control vast swaths of the world. And again, I, I hearken back to sort of Robert Jordan's idea where he had uh, the people from across the Great Sea come over and they had a very different idea of what the struggle between the gods was like and that sort of thing. Then, and they used it to control the populaces that they were conquering. You can also use that in a very benevolent way as well. I think. So there's that control that that certain aspects of the underworld give you as opposed to the freeing or the liberation that other ideals can give you as well.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't have to be nefarious. Like, I think that adds a lot of opportunity for conflict, but it can be sort of like, if you knew the truth, you would all go completely crazy. So let's tell you this nice story. Or, or even if it's just something like, let's tell you this story that you can wrap your head around.
1: Yeah, well, I'm sure you know this too, Aaron. In, in a lot of apocalyptic literature, there's a lot of, especially when it's talking about hell, there's visions. There are things that, uh, in order for, god or whoever else to make it more readily acceptable they use imagery that we'll understand and and things of that nature that aren't necessarily reflective of or, or maybe they are reflective of reality there's no way for us to know and and so they use that imagery for things to make sense to us in some weird mystical way
2: i love the idea of giving that to players like if you are planning a journey to the underworld with your players i love the idea of Having them have this book that explains the underworld to the living in a way that they would be able to understand, but is an analogy to what is really there. I love the idea of players reading like uh, something about, oh, uh, I believe that we're going to be coming up to, it says, Something about a dragon that is on a throne of bones, like we're coming up to, and then they get to this small room with this elegant woman sitting on just a regular looking chair or something, you know, and then they have to figure out, this is not what the book says, but there is a reason why it is written I mean, that way. I feel like my way. gaming group would and be like, don't go yeah, <laughs> I know, like, no. absolutely. No, no, <laughs> She thrown a bones, dragon, this does not sound good. <laughs> this is worse than it was. I want the dragon. <laughs> yeah, but like things that would just make yeah, them go, Yeah, I
0: think that what? too is a, is a really neat way to put in that, that dichotomy that if you have this sort of map of the underworld and, and, you know, I think most cultures have this sort of like, here's what it looks like. And especially if you're going for something that has a layer system or like those gates or something, that there's going to be something written down, like, here's how you go through the underworld. Is it right? Um, And it might be that it starts out right, and it starts to fall apart. I kind of did this with my Shadow of the Demon Lord story, where they, they go down in the underworld, and they have this little book from the, from the the church, that's like, okay, here's how you do it. And then as they get going, like this is taking too long, and this is not what's supposed to be here. And you know, these things, that, they're too that sort of subtle stuff. Like they they expect this ghost that they're looking for because she's part of a race that's been vilified is going to be in the deepest layers because that's where the sinners go. But it's in these are in the deepest layers because they are drawn to this body of water that grows. You know, the more ghosts that come, so that they can live by the water like they did in the in, in the upper world. So that, like, subtle, like, shifts that that just remind you, like, you really don't know what's going on here is a wonderful place to build in more story and atmosphere, too. I mean, how creepy will it be for your players when they think they know what they're (laughs) getting into? And you start changing it little bit by little bit by little bit. And just one little step at a time, you start to realize, like, oh, we are in way over our heads. That's a wonderful opportunity. Until you get to the point where you walk into a room with a lady and you're like, this is the (laughs)
2: trap! Yeah, this is not what the book says. In my mind, if you have, if you're giving your players a map or some sort of instructions into the underworld, it has to have riddles in it because nothing says hell to your players like riddles. Like any DM knows that players hate riddles. That's how you make hell unbearable to your players. (laughs) Well,
1: you know, and we're talking about (laughs) like a book from the church. Like I said, if it's full of imagery, you know, what, what somebody might have seen in, say, the first century in your world or, you know, however you measure time, they might have used Used vastly different imagery than what you would understand as say a modern person whenever you know second age or third age person in your fantasy realm would have understood so you know they might use the image of uh, you know a dragon well you know dragons were you know were abundant in the realm that was specific to the writer but there are no more dragons so uh, you know a dragon to somebody else might be you know especially in, in later time periods might not be the best image to use because when you get down there it looks nothing like what the preconceived notion of a dragon would be so now how do we handle this and you can pose riddles in that way as well and I think that's a that's a cool idea, especially if you're using that imagery idea.
0: I don't, I think I mentioned it in a sort of a bleak fashion, but I really like guardians in the underworld. I like having the, the entities that are sort of there to keep the, keep the souls in line and keep the living out. And I think you have a wonderful opportunity there to create things that are um, that really kind of resonate with the feel of the underworld. Like, are these just like, do they just look like random ghosts and then boom, they gotcha? Are they sort of human-esque, like Egyptian, quote unquote, demons? Are they, you know, terrible monsters? Are they gods in their own right? And I think that that's a that's like a really cool opportunity to to kind of make the the feel of the environment and the atmosphere of the underworld really resonate with your characters in a kind of a way that you can also make into a kind of an encounter and what do they want from you like you can like do you have to answer the question do you have to give them something do you just have to avoid them because they're gonna kill you like you're here you must be dead oh not yet oh let's fix that
2: yeah and if they follow the law like the law of the cosmos the law of it like is it simply like well if you answer the riddle they're not going to give you any kind of trouble If you answer wrong, uh, they're going to rip you to shreds and you're going to suffer for all eternity. But (laughs) if you if you answer correctly, they're no problem at all. You go go forth. Go on. You have opened the gate. Well, Aaron, we want to thank you so much for joining us on this discussion about such a light topic, the underworld and just everything that it entails. But if our listeners would like to get in touch with you, if they'd like to ask you about the underworld, ask you about your books or anything in general, where's a good place for them to um, get in touch with you at? There's two
0: places. I have a Facebook page. I think it's facebook.com slash angels. That's my, my official author page. So I'm pretty good at, at getting back to people with questions on there if you want to ask in a, in a sort of general way. I'm on Twitter as Aaron M. Evans, and I have a blog on, at slashlush.com. I have to admit, I've been writing so much lately that I haven't been updating it terribly well. but if there's a there's a contact form if you have a bigger question that you don't want to kind of put out into the world and those take me a little longer to get to but i do uh yeah so that's three good places to find me
2: fantastic uh check out erin's books the brimstone angel saga and keep an eye out for her new works that are coming soon hopefully soon?
0: Yeah, hopefully. But novels always take longer oh, than you All expect. Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
0: my readers got slightly spoiled. All right. There thank you here.
2: go. Keep keep an eye out for them. Thank you for so much for joining us. We hope that you can join us again sometime yes. soon.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: I know, and I'm sure Mitch would agree, that we had a fantastic time recording this episode with Erin. And she brought a lot of knowledge to the table about the Underworld, and it was just a great discussion. If you guys enjoyed it, let us know. Let her know. She gave her contact information at the end there. And if you guys wanted to contact us about this week's episode or any other type of question that you might have, you can email us at Dungeon Master Block, that's Dungeon Master with no S, Block, at gmail.com. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and your review will be read on an upcoming future episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. If you would like to contact us via social media, You can hit us up on Twitter. Our handle there is at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS underscore block. Or you can like us on Facebook. Just search Dungeon Masters Block. Both places are great sources of information regarding the upcoming episodes that drop every Sunday, general D&D goodness like memes, polls, and that kind of thing, as well as a way to get in touch with all of the various hosts that we have. We have a new Patreon dragon shout out for this week. And that shout-out goes to... Lauren Lipscomb! She is a silver dragon, and Lauren, I apologize if I butchered your last name. No foul menta. (laughs) But yeah, Lauren is going to be flying through the forums at the speed of a silver dragon, leveling her enemies with her frost breath. She will get access to all of our various dragon-only forums and podcasts. She'll be able to listen in live to our DMs workshops that we hold every month. Welcome Lauren, we thank you for your patronage. Well, if you liked this show and you wanted to check out some others, this show is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. You can check out other shows like The GM Showcase, Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, where we talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all other people at the table. This is DM Ian saying we'll see you next week. And for DM Mitch, keep on Dungeon Mastering. I've always wanted to say that.